I gave her like uh, 17 orgasms. (laughs) Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's right. God, oh, man. man. Oh, God. It is one fucking hour time. I'm Evan Husney. This is, of course, the show where we talk about one goddamn movie, and we have just one fucking hour to do it. Uh, and we have, as always here, Big T, Tom Fitzgerald. T, what's uh, going on, T? That's me. It's what they call me. Here we go. <laughs> All right. It's uh, closing out 2023 with a a banger. That's right. We sure are. Here we are. End of another year on this show, man. It's crazy. We keep keep rolling through here. Um, And, of course, we got uh, to my right, we got Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus, welcome back. You're looking really sharp tonight, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, camera yeah. upgrade. So yeah, big camera be, uh, upgrade. Holy it's shit. You're in 5D, man. We're yeah. Like upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Two, four. There you are, man. Beautiful. All of us. Caught in 4K. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, someone who definitely needs to upgrade is all the way to my right here. We have all the way from the Austin Film Society. All the way from 2006. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. 240p, uh, we meet again. I'm just pulling your chain. <laughs> oh, my God. Camera shame. It's just uh, funny. Yeah, here we go. We got no shame. Uh, <laughs> Lars Nilsson. Lars, welcome back to the show, bro. What's going on? Th- thank you. I'm so sorry that my camera is so bad. I love it. It's charming. It's so great. I hear it's coming back. Yeah. I hear that this, you know, the 2006 look is... Yeah. It's so good. You guys, you guys are using cameras, not just the camera that's already like your webcam. Right, right. It's right. on your laptop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Taking yeah. notes. Yeah. We're being, taking notes. Like, yeah. we're pretending that we're taking this podcast seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Get it. Yeah, that amazing. Seems, that seems to be going great for you, so that's good. Oh, oh gangbusters. Hey, man, we're printing money over here at one fucking hour. Um, no, no. So, uh, well, welcome back to the show. I knew we couldn't... Thank you. I, I yeah. knew we could not do this episode without Lars, and more no. on that later. I'll but, tell you what happened. Yeah. So across the transom is like, uh, Ryan O'Neill died, and you just went... Doop, doop, doop. Lars, <laughs> yeah, he went, I, I know. He went, I know. Yeah, yeah that's what happened in in the in the film version of one fucking. Hour, you know, it is what he happened. Just, he just said, "I know," <laughs> and hung up. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's explain yeah. what tonight is. Of course, this is episode yeah. ninety-two, and we're doing one fucking hour on "Tough Guys Don't Dance" by uh, Norman Mailer, and of course, starring Ryan O'Neill, who passed away recently. We had a little. Uh, <laughs> We had, we had a little Tom had a little improv line last week uh, that this episode was going to be rip roaring rip Ryan. So this uh, this is going to be a rip roaring rip Ryan episode. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, that might be that the going out in style. Yeah, that amused exactly. us to no end. Yeah, yeah rip roaring rip Ryan. That might be the line that I've received the most text messages about on this show in show history. I Marcus. got them too. Yeah, I he did. So, oh so stand by for your yeah. Rip Roaring Rip Ryan shirts that'll be uh, coming out very soon uh, in, in, in honor of tonight's episode. But before we get into that, just real quick, shout out to the One Fucking Hour Patreon, patreon.com slash one fucking hour is where you can sign up to support these guys over here because uh, we're putting out feature length audio commentary tracks. We're putting out bonus episodes. We just finished, Lars, our run of 1999 films. 
uh, last week was Fight Club. Oh my God! And uh, no. boy, check the comment section on that on that episode. Oh, by the really? way, <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's a are there, fuck are there people? Are there people who like Fight Club? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're looking at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 an it's a bizarre object to uh to, to look at. No, yeah. but there's a lot of people like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, one fucking hour, are these guys not getting it. You know, it's pretty fun. It's it's probably the most really? heat we've gotten. But I think it's you know you do Fight Club, the trolls show up. You know, that's how it goes. It, we weren't throwing it under the bus exactly. Again, it wasn't like a magnolia. No, not exactly. But um, no. And so getting back to the point, though, of course, we did films covering from 1999, but there's a bonus episode, y'all, up on the Patreon right now where myself, Marcus, Tom, and I, we went um, one fucking hour on just movies from 99, which was a blast. You know, we went to town. We talked about fucking Blair Witch Project. We talked about American Beauty. We talked about Spy Who Shagged Me, Tom. Phantom Menace. South Park. uh, Space. Office Space, man. Still, Still good. Still holds up. So if you want to hear that, the only way to do it is up on the Patreon, or if you're watching this on YouTube and you want all your shit in one place, you can uh, scroll underneath this video, click the join button, and become a moment of the YouTube channel. Same uh, dollar figure, five bucks a month, same perks, same bullshit. You know what to do. Um, All right, guys. You ready to get into this episode, Rip Roar and Rip Brian? (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Here's the clock, and let's go. All right, everybody, just quick before we start things off here, you know, not everybody, you know, maybe has not seen this movie. So here's a quick little synopsis. Now, this is taken from the back of the uh, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, I guess, semi-recent Blu-ray release, uh, which looks fantastic, by the way. I I was definitely digging the, the HD 4K stuff going on there. But here's the synopsis they wrote for it, which actually is a pretty nice effort, I think, to try and explain what the fuck is going on in this movie. Um, little spoilery, but who gives a fuck? Um, all right. After a two-week bender, Tim Madden uh, awakens one morning from his drunken state only to discover everything in his life seems amiss. There's a fresh tattoo on his arm. His car is covered in blood. His girlfriend is in bed with the town sheriff. But worst of all, there's a woman's severed head in his weed stash. Sensing a setup and in, and in desperate need to clear his name, Tim begins an investigation with the help of his dying father that soon begin to expose an ever stranger web of corruption, greed, blackmail, and violence woven into every aspect of the small coastal community of Provincetown. The last feature film directed by Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Norman Mailer, Tough Guys Don't Dance, is a wild, le- labyrinthian, neo-noir black comedy starring Ryan O'Neill, Rip Roaring Rip Ryan, alongside acclaimed actors Isabella Rossellini, Wingshauser, Lawrence fucking Tyranny, more on that later, and more. Uh, so that's the film, but uh, let's kick it off to Lars, our guest here, um, and explain sort of why he is the person that we speed, had on speed dial for this. You know, uh, I first saw the movie when he was hosting a screening of it at the Alamo Draft House. We'll get into that in a second. But Lars, what's your sort of origin story with this movie, your background uh, with Tough Guys Don't Dance? Um, you know, I didn't even remember that you had been at that screening, but that's super cool. Uh, I It's, it's weird that I uh, find myself in this company as like the tough guys don't dance expert because I feel like I'm especially expert at it. But I will say this when I, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a writer. Mm. And as it's, as it's happened, 
you know, I, I have written during the course of my life and I've done writing and writing yeah. is a big part of what I've done as a film programmer. But but, you know, I, I'm not a, like a world famous novelist. But when I was a teenager, I sort of thought like, maybe I'll just be like a world famous novelist. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, and the guy that I sort of read and sort of modeled myself after and I'm embarrassingly wrote fiction that sounded like wow was norman mailer he was yes. like the guy like i had read his stuff and i loved it <laughs> yeah i had like gone back and read like the naked and the dead and the deer park was which was the one that really grabbed me a second novel yeah uh and i was just like you know and then i kept up with his stuff i read like his Marilyn monroe book and executioner song and all that stuff and uh i really liked him and i still like him i i think he's a real uh, an amazing writer he really is sure um uh and, and it I, I read Tough Guys Don't Dance, the novel, when it came out. So that's like that's kind of where I'm coming from. Wow. And then, the, and then nice. like, it never came to my town, but I watched it on, like, you know, Showtime or Cinemax or whatever, whenever it sure. first came on. And, you know, I don't know that I especially liked it. I don't really remember much about watching it, although I'm certain I, I must have watched it. I know I, I remember watching it. Um, but I don't remember having any strong impressions of it, other than not really liking it very much. Right. Like, it was kind of weird. Um, yeah. But anyway, fast forward years later, for some reason, I knew that uh, we at uh, at Draft House in the archive that later became AGFA, American Genre Film Archive, had a print of it. So I figured, well, I've seen this before. I remember it was kind of weird. Let's let me show it for. I think I showed it for Weird Wednesday the first time and uh, showed it, and uh, obviously, uh, it was an incredible experience to yeah. sort of rejoin this <laughs> film. And I ended up showing it several more times uh, when I was at Draft wow. House. I, I now program for Austin Film Society. I have not yet programmed it here, but I'm thinking, Jesus, after doing my latest rewatch, I've got to show it. Yes. It just, it's just going to kill. <laughs> it does. Like, it audiences. Oh, yeah. It's it amazingly weird oh, yeah. and funny. And, uh, it, you know, I think one thing that we'll probably find ourselves going back to again and again is like, did Norman Mailer intend for this movie to be this yeah. fucking funny? That's the, or is it? Did it kind of happen that it sort of like came out and it was sort of dumb and funny, and then he like James Wend it, you know, a little yeah, bit yeah, or something. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I meant to make a comedy. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the million dollar I did question. A little research. I actually yeah. have the script of Tough Guys Don't Dance, and uh, I, nice. I have the sort of the the note. And this is the script written before the movie was ever came out. So I actually have Norman Mailer's amazing uh, title page notes on this and he wow. said it's kind of his like i guess the elevator pitch sort of tough guys don't dance is a horror film <laughs> in the form of a tough guy murder mystery there you go it is built on the premise that offbeat characters a brooding landscape edgy humor and violence loose in a town builds terror as effectively as huge special effects if a strange and sinister fever is loose in the pleasure-loving classes of America, this film looks to be the embodiment of that fever. Wow. So, like, I think that kind of works, right? Sure. If that's sure. what he's setting out to do. Kind of, It kind of works. Yeah. And, and um, in the trailer, and I sent you the trailer, Evan. I don't know if you've looked at it. but Oh, it's or maybe you've seen oh, good. the yeah, trailer for this great. before. But, like, yeah, Norman Mailer is, like, he's goofing on the film already in the, in the trailer. He's reading like the preview cards and how people, you know, didn't like it and everything. Um, and then he, at the end he says, this is a film made by the devil. The devil made this picture. In Norman Mailer's tough guys don't dance. Yeah. With a <laughs> wink. Yeah, yeah. With a wink. Amazing. So, so there's no way. I mean, I mean, and here's the thing. If it is humor, we have to accept, 
that possibly Norman Mailer was into some next level shit. Yeah, yeah. Humor to yeah. I mean, what, what, you know, because that is the, the sentient question, you know. And, yeah. And, and let's just actually get back to Mr. Ryan O'Neill for a second. <laughs> you know, the, the, the big, the, the only real cultural takeaway of uh, this film has been the very viral clip, a real yeah. classic, you know, yeah. it's on like Colbert and stuff is, oh God, oh man, uh, you know, Ryan O'Neill on the beach. Oh man. Yeah. So what I'm saying is it's like I, I think that everyone assumes that that is a scene that's played seriously yes. and it's very very bad with bad yes. dialogue and a bad line reading. Yeah. But if you but really if it just if you just watch the film and it's in the film, yeah. it makes more quote unquote sense. And all yeah. I'm really getting at is like I, I think there is intentional humor, but this might be to what you're saying too, Lars. It's like what kind of humor are we talking about? It's not naked gun humor. Right. You know what I mean? It's like uh uh, I think that I, I mean, of course, it's all very intentional. He's a fucking novelist, for Christ's sake, and he is a big, fat, brilliant mind. So he's not he's maybe being clumsy about the execution and the technique in, in the film. And that's something that I wanted to talk about a little bit later. Yes. But I think that everything is absolutely intentional. I think that there's humor that runs intentionally throughout. But what kind of humor are we talking? About? Exactly. I think, oh, God, oh, man. I, I think, you know, like they shot Ogato Man and he looked at Ryan O'Neill and was like, we got to take. Beautiful. Yeah. Just what I want. Like he wasn't like, I don't know. Yeah. I want a dramatic scene at a beach where a man is deeply affected by something. And uh, is this what we this is what we get? This is the best take. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm certain that's not what happened. What do you guys I, think? I can kind of well, chime in on this a little yeah. bit because the, I did. There's a couple of interviews with Tim floating around that are relevant to both these points. So this Mailer? scene that you're talking about and yeah, to with Mailer talking about this scene specifically and talking about you know, the comedy in the film. But uh, so there's an interview with him where he's older, you know, after the after that has become a notorious moment. Right. And he's saying like, you know, that he wanted something that was really heightened there and like tense and that he really pushed for it. And the entire crew was like, no, don't do it. Like, can you bring it down a little bit? <laughs> nice. and, uh, and he was like, he just would not, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let in, you know, okay. he's like a real bullish guy. Right. So he said that Ryan never forgave him for it. You know, that he was, and he said that also that he, he kind of, that he forgave Ryan for saying that he was an asshole because he kind of was at that moment. And he said, he basically said like, you know, it's, it's a disaster that scene, but it's exactly what I asked for. Huh. So it is kind of what you're saying in a way. Um, he kept. He kept. It's kind of like Kubrick on Doctor Strangelove when he was going to George C. Scott, and he kept he kept going to George C. Scott, and he was like a little bigger, a little bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, right. Bigger? Yeah, and he was like yeah, bigger, bigger, bigger. Yeah, and so George C. Scott, he kept he, like George C. Scott would do a take, and Kubrick would go like, "It's good, but you could go bigger." Right. So until you just like had him. At eleven, Max. you know, so yeah. George Scott is is, <laughs> is, is like playing that at eleven, and that's kind of what Mailer I think mm -hmm. did with uh, Ryan O'Neill in yeah. that scene. It's like bigger, I, yeah. bigger, bigger. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. just want to I just want to say real quick, just, just for the audience might be listening if you don't know this movie or you haven't seen it in a while, just the tone of this movie, you know, that we're you know you're watching it is. You know, the structure is all over the place. We're jumping forward. We're jumping back. It's very dreamlike. It's nightmare logic. But it also has um, a lot of really weird, highly strange dialogue and delivery. Very weird, heightened line delivery. And you can't help but just laugh and have fun with this movie. Yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to recontextualize. You're not sure what is intentional 
yeah and what is mm-hmm. not on any of the, on any of it because it it's does very arched yeah i, I was gonna Go say that like i think just to open this up to you guys too it's like uh when i first saw it and i just watched it again today i've, I've always wondered am i having an issue with or is the film having an issue with the the casting of the lead ryan o'neill <laughs> like is he like with a different actor like I don't know Christopher Walken or something or, or or Dennis Hopper. Let's just say Dennis Hopper. James is Woods. The lead. <laughs> that is actually I thought of that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So James Woods. Yeah. So what I'm saying is <laughs> I I, I wonder if how much that would be a different film that he would maybe be more clued in and more and less hapless and kind of mm-hmm. unmoored and 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 because Paul and Kale because I got to mention Paul and Kale. Sure. One of her little quips about the film. It's a great little write up she did. She says that the, the the cast just all look abandoned and they look like they're just wandering around and they have no idea what to do. And let's keep in mind that Norman Mailer is not much of a director. His previous films were these sort of quasi uh, verite pieces yeah. that are very bizarre from the 60s. So what I'm saying is it's it, with, a, with, a dire- with a director who doesn't really have a great hand, I guess, at, at like handling actors. And maybe yeah. Ryan O'Neill, just my point, and one up to you guys is like, it was Ryan O'Neill just kind of lost, and that maybe with a different actor, he might have understood the the devil made it wink and and just exactly literally James Woods like would maybe have gotten under the hood of what the intention was, and maybe it wouldn't have had this other layer uh, of of strangeness and alienation for the audience that might be literally just like Ryan O'Neill giving a very bad performance because he's just lost. Mm-hmm. What do you think? It, it's the director. It, it's always it's. You can kind of forgive it with Mailer because he's not really a director, but like directors who sort of hang the actors out there, uh, I I sometimes just think like that fucking piece of shit director, like he, what he did to yeah. those actors, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but sure. in this, it's almost like a sort of cinema of cruelty or something. Like it has like he doesn't know any better. He can't not do this, you know. Like w- he's going to take what the actors give him, and it's funny, like. I mean, this movie exists also in this sort of lynch land, you know, which is, you know, a point that Tom brought up earlier. It, it has the Angelo Badalamenti score, you know, it yep. has Isabella Rossellini. Yep. Um, but I was just watching Blue Velvet on the yep. big screen recently mm-hmm. with a crowd of like community college students who had never heard of David Lynch. Whoa. So I, I sat and watched, I introduced it to them. They, they, they were at AFS Cinema. They like bought a block of tickets and this community college class sat and watched it. Uh, only like one of them had ever seen a David Lynch movie before. Wow. Almost none of them had ever heard of David Lynch. <laughs> so I introduced it and we sat and we watched Blue Velvet and I'm kind of seeing it through their eyes, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and as they're watching, it's kind of like, oh yeah, no, I know where this is going, this 50s kind of thing. And then obviously as it goes in these different directions. But one thing that I'm noticing about Blue Velvet is like, I don't know that David Lynch has this super deft touch with actors either. You know, I don't yeah. know that David Lynch isn't just like going like, okay, go. That was Jim Dandy, you know, Dennis or whatever. I like, understand. But I guess what I mean is that's getting me to thinking in terms of the yeah. actual casting. Like, it's like to maybe not have a great command as a director of, of, of performers, of actors. But like the luck of the draw in this case is just like Ryan O'Neill is kind of coasting. And is he even that great an actor? And like, he's actually more of a com- comedic actor. <laughs> he is. Mm-hmm. He is. Right. So it's like uh, maybe that casting, maybe it would have been different if it was a different set of actors, because there's a great set of actors, I think, in Blue Velvet, you know, obviously. And I think that they mostly um, some, they get it or, or they're the right pick for the strange world that that Lynch creates. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if there's some tension between your lead actor 
it's a very important role in this film, you know? And I just found him like, he just looked like Ryan O'Neill being silly. And it almost felt like, wait for it. Like sometimes it felt like he was in so fine or something. <laughs> or, or it was a wonderful partners, film. Yeah. Lars's you know? favorite film. Like, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Like um, him, like, cause in so fine, He's flailing around a lot, you know, because he's with the mob boss's girlfriend and he makes this in great invention yeah. of jeans. So he's doing a lot of flailing. And, you know, it's the, it's that kind of performance where, like, something's wrong and I have to address it. He's putting out fires and that's happening yeah. in this film. So uh, I guess what am I trying to say? It's like um, maybe it's like uh, 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 all I'm saying and I'll close it out. It's just is this a huge element that is causing the strangeness of it that maybe would not be there? with an actor who's better suited let's just put it that way sure no i, I, I just wonder aloud because some if something's not working with yeah. me is ryan o'neill was he even the first choice like was it just a name they thought oh it's a b-list now like an a-list guy is now b-list in the 80s let's yeah i, I you know. feel like he was there pretty early but i think one thing to contextualize historically just to understand how this even project comes into being let's i think that has part of it then let me tie it to what you were saying yeah. So, uh, Canon Films, obviously, holy shit, is behind this yeah. movie. <laughs> Let's Amazing. not gloss over that. <laughs> oh, you know, my God. The you know, uh, Israeli production company that we went to town on, you know, covering on our uh, episode of The Last American Virgin. Shout out in the archives. Also, our audio commentary on Blue Velvet is on the Patreon as well, too. Anyway, um, so what happened is Norman Mailer entered a two-picture deal with Canon Films. This is how I understand it. Lars, if you know anything, <laughs> chime in. But he was hired to write King Lear for Godard. You know, so crazy WTF, you know, uh, Shakespeare adaptation that Canon Films puts out. And then they had to do another movie. And I think that it was a knee jerk for Norman Mailer to put forward his most recent novel, uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance, to do it. Um, you know, it's a it's, it's a murder story. He was into it, whatever it could be done. But mostly he was excited about shooting in Provincetown. That's where he lives. I mean, the house, you know, Ryan's house in the movie is his house. You know, he loves this weird, quirky, eccentric oh, place where there's all these, right. you know, artists live there. You know, there's a gay community. Plus, then there. a 64 year old man doesn't have to leave home to go make a movie. Yeah, there's that too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's like it's a convenience thing. And from what I gather is, as we had talked about, this is an example, this movie, of someone, Norman Mailer, who isn't primarily a film director, you know, so he doesn't have these sharpened craft tools to control tone, to control performances, or fuck, most importantly, to control an edit, <laughs> you know. So, um, no. but you're talking about somebody who is a writer and who often refers to the process of writing and creating novels as a prison, somebody who is literally confined in this very sort of solo exercise of just writing and how graining and the grind of all that. And I think with a movie, for someone like him, it's the, ex it's the experience to fucking go nuts and to have fun and to, and, to, and to experiment and to play and to be freer and to... You know, and so I think well, he's approaching it. Can I say that relates that. Uh, just to support what you're saying? It's like you know, his the films I mentioned earlier, his late '60s films. Yeah, they are these. Um, they're they're um, uh, sort of performance art, uh, avant-garde exercises first, yeah. and then there's a camera. You know what I mean? So I, it, it kind of yeah. dovetails into what you're saying about how he maybe looks at film as not not a, not a lark and, and just kind of a frivolous thing, but like. 
it's it's a it's it's quite unlike writing, and it's more of, of a group effort and a group and, um, and just to have a wild time. And I, he definitely had a wild time with Maidstone, for instance, and some others. Wild, <laughs> sure, Danny. yeah. Uh, but but uh, I wonder if they had a wild time on the set of this film. Because, I think they um, might have. I think it looks they like it. Like yeah, I, I knew this film was was. Uh, when I, I was going to say, when I first saw this film, it's very rare to witness uh, a, a true bomb of all time, like a, like a big classic stinker <laughs> film. So what I'm saying is I saw this come out and I watched it in real time go from like a new film by Norman Mailer. And then yeah. like suddenly I saw these reviews, maybe Siskel and Ebert, you know, I read yeah. Pauline Kael. And it was just like, oh, this is just absurd. And so then I wound up seeing it later on cable. And I remember specifically, because I was more or less just confused and I was kind of still just a teenager. But it was when Wings Hauser starts going like, I gave her like uh, 17 orgasms, <laughs> like his weird voice. And this will come 16 times in a night. And I went, I just went, oh, this is just, they're just fucking around. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't mind that, witnessing yeah. that. But like, that's just a ridiculous uh, line yeah. reading. And it's just like, it looks like he's in on the joke. Wings, <laughs> Wings Hauser is just like, why don't I try? Like, he tried probably, like, can I, can I give you some options? You know, like, like, you know, and it's just like, like, it's like, I just always felt like, can I take this seriously? That's, like, am I not supposed to? Like, that is I think he one definitely of the, knows yeah. the comedy of it. Because I, I saw an interview with him, too, from the time, like, like kind of a press junket type deal where he's talking. And he's and they're asking about how violent the movie is, you know, and he's saying, like, well, yeah, these characters are violent. But they're also very comedic to me, you know. So he thought that they, you know, I think he was aware of the, the comedy element yeah. to it. And the, the lines just like, "My pussy hair was golden in high school," or yeah. whatever. You know, that's like. And then it got scorched by the football team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> just like. My pussy hair was bright gold in high school until I went out and scorched it with the football team. No, but well, that, well. Also, can I just make a just, uh, and then I'll totally shut up. I really want to hear what you guys have to say. Is is this also an exercise in having fun with bad writing, like bad media, like he's kind of making like a Falcon Crest, yeah, could be meets meets like a, a you know like a Grindhouse film. Like, is he kind of endeavoring in trash? Intentionally? I hope so. I mean, because Lars? well, it well, it, well, I can yeah. tell you this much: um, the novel, and, and I think that. This maybe explains part of that. The novel itself was a thing where Norman Mailer had taken this big advance on a book and he had not delivered a book and they <laughs> needed a book. <laughs> and yeah. so he was he like read all of Raymond Chandler's books and he was mm -hmm. just like, OK, you know, I I, I am not going to go research all the streets in L.A. or whatever. I'm going to write a book about my hometown of Provincetown and I use Provincetown go. locations and bars and people that I know here will be the characters in it. And that's the book. All right. Tough guys don't dance. And he turned it in. And, you know, I guess I'm sure it was like a, you know, a moderate hit. I remember seeing it on the shelves a lot. I think it um, was a hit. I think it was a bestseller. Yeah. 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 But it wasn't like a great novel. You know, it, it wasn't like a great right. American novel. It was just kind of like, yeah, he had to deliver this book because they'd already paid him for it. And he just owed them a book. Yeah. So in making this film in Provincetown, it's almost like the same impulse. You know, it's like. I know these people. I know this vibe. And to get to like a thing that Tom was saying about like Ryan O'Neill, like Mailer had this hang up about Irish men, like about <laughs> particularly about Irish men and their drinking okay. and their ability to 
you know, their spirituality and all this kind of stuff. I can right. see that. Um, I'm sure this thrills you as an Irish man. Oh, but I can't I, wait. Like, <laughs> Rhino, like, you can't imagine him standing by for, like, the casting of a non-Irish actor to, to play this kind of role. Like, yeah. like Dustin Hoffman probably could, could have come and said, I'll do it. And he'd be like, no, get out of here. Right. You know? Got you it. Crazy Jewish guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I did not know that in the casting of the lead, there was a, a serious consideration of his ethnicity. That's uh, <laughs> not see that coming. Sure. Not see that coming. Amazing. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Um, Another weird layer. Well, it's, that, it's you're uh, sorry, Marcus, you want to go ahead? Yeah, just a quick thing. It's like, you know, he, there's a little bit of his egotism to, or a lot of his egotism too. You know, you've seen every interview, you know, lots of interviews with him over the years where he's like super egotistical, chauvinistic, bossy type dude. Mailer? But yeah, I think he's, yeah, Mailer, yeah. right? So um, there's, when I, the, the big reveal for me this time was watching at the very end, it mentions can, you know, the credits, it shows Canon Group, and it's like in association with Zoetrope Studios, which was like, what the fuck? I, I, it blew my mind. So I was trying to figure out, like, what was that all about? Did not figure it out, but I did find another article from him at the time where he's talking about, he's bragging about his strength as a director. And, and this is another press junket thing where he's saying, um, I've had much more theatrical background than people realize. I directed a couple plays, and I've been married to a couple of actresses. So directing actors is probably my strength. Yeah, there oh you go. Love it, love it. Well, what, one thing when you were talking about the... Uh, the writing of the book, you know, one author that came to mind too, the way this movie feels, maybe the book feels a little bit is Charles Williford. I don't know if you felt that way, mm -hmm. Lars, but the idea of like, you know, Miami blues, you know, kind of a similar vibe of like, you have this eighties, you know, rehash of the noir, you know, which I sort right. of like to call the, the white carpet thriller, um, which this movie definitely is. Um, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you were talking about David Lynch, too. And, you know, David Lynch is also playing with that sandbox, too. He's taking noir yeah. with Blue Velvet. You know, he's heightening it. He's, he's not the same way, but in, in, a, in a different way. He's making it more melodramatic. He's making it more terrifying. Right. But, and to your point, he ignores yeah. the 80s aesthetic, Lynch does. Yeah, like he goes timeless and kind of pure mid-century. Yes. And uh, but what I one charm of this film really is that it's so uh, like gross and ugly eighties. Like the bad like music and the cocaine. The party. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. I love that. Uh, uh, the party. The party scene is fantastic. And it, it also has. It has like I, I have like some pretty good laughs even before the party scene in this. I mean, there's some pretty funny. Everything in the movie is funny. Like and yes. I really want to be sure we get the point across. This is a really fucking funny movie. I yeah. think. I mean, yeah. I think it's just like it is blazing fucking saddles. I mean, it is just like <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. But like my first big laugh is like, so, like some of the lines are so portentous and pretentious sounding yeah. that like they're funny in and of themselves. But there's a scene where like Ryan O'Neill, it's on the stairs and it's like the trumpet scene oh. and like. Ryan, his, his wife's like blowing the trumpet and he says you wake up all the ghosts in hell town which in and of itself is just kind of like a funny like portentous <laughs> pretentious sounding line and then she she says that's the idea don't let those motherfuckers sleep and bad southern accents are another oh, oh yeah of this big song. part says, of this movie that's the idea don't let the motherfuckers sleep yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Just like 
Yeah, it's it's so there's so many. Yeah, weird it's like eighties um, Nolans, like but up in um, you know like mm-hmm. lobster country. It's, You're yeah. goddamn right. We're going to have a seance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hard cut. And then there's also like just like. This is very David Lynch to me, and I don't. Hopefully, I'll try to stop talking about the David Lynch comparisons. But what I love is like they both have like bad guys, like they just have these like stock actor bad guys, you know, yeah. like the guy who's at the seance who, who screams, you know, it's just like Spider. it's just like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right. It's just like I'm a bad guy, like you know, it's sort of like uh, Dennis Hopper's like um, yeah. bad guys, his henchmen, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. and that all is just right out again of of like mid century, just like trash pulp. You know, it there's is a great. There's the great Bob Odenkirk of the two like bad guys. There's the Bob Odenkirk looking one. Yeah. Who has like, <laughs> like he has like, like temporary tattoos from like a gift shop. Love it. All Love over it. him. You know, Love it's it, like yeah. they don't, they, they didn't get somebody to come in and like do fresh no. ones. They're totally like tiny ass little gift shop temp tattoos yeah you know? it's Almost amazing cracker jack level yeah it's amazing but i it, it but what i do love about it too is that it has this very you know white carpet thriller uh snapper dvd case sort of plot the idea of an amnesia like that's right out of a snapper the idea that it's kind of uh, a you know like almost a hangover type plot line <laughs> where it's a guy who you know has been on a bender for two weeks and he doesn't remember what you happened really fucked up last night man yeah you wanted a tattoo on your forehead <laughs> yeah, that's the best i'm gonna put your name on my forehead <laughs> It's the best. It's so great. And but as you were saying, I like the, the like the film has its own vernacular. It has its own style of dialogue. Like you know, mm-hmm. d- d- like I, like doesn't someone say like uh, something like, uh, or did you just want to tickle my stick? You know, or just like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like what the hell? it feels just kind of like old my guy. Stick. Yeah, Ryan O'Neill yeah, says it, that to Yeah, yeah. Right. it feels like sixty-year-old guy in the eighties. Like uh, yeah. we yeah. we used to throw talk like this around at the barracks. Yeah, here's another thing that seems out of touch. Tom, were you smoking marijuana in the 1980s? Uh, yeah. yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, me too. It was your stash like 12 miles away? Yeah, <laughs> wow. I know, buried like in the buried earth. in the woods. I love the stash. Yeah, yeah. The stash, uh, is, uh, maybe, or was yeah. it like in a pair of socks or something? Uh, yeah, you know? so fucking Very funny. Charming. And and how about the what's that thing where it's like uh, Wings Hauser reading that letter and he's like pure licky sucky heaven or whatever? Totally, is that pure carnal licky sucky heaven? Um, but my favorite line, Lars will back me up, the best fucking line delivery and my favorite line like in this movie, hands down, is Lawrence fucking Tyranny sitting there. I say we deep six the heads. I say we deep six the heads. You got an anchor? That is... Right. Yeah. Deep six in the heads is fucking amazing. And then he goes <laughs> and he deep sixes the fucking heads. And then it cuts back to him at the table with a drink saying, I just deep six two heads. I just deep six the heads. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. I just he says deep six those two heads. Yeah, those two like heads. Yeah. He really, that is a magical, that's talking about casting. That's magical. And he is almost transporting 
from just the pulp mid-century zone mm-hmm. just yeah as he's an straight entity. out of film noir yeah. right right yeah. so it's like he really lends it to it i have a i have a t- slight fan fiction theory i just want to see if you guys just shoot me down immediately but lawrence tierney his father died years ago and he these are just visions and ryan's just talking to himself oh that'd be great. Uh, fight club Steve. style that'd be great yeah and he's and he's th- and, and ryan's throwing the heads over the, the water the oh there's definitely something fantastical at the end right so i think that's i think that it's open to some yeah. interpretation because the end yeah. is definitely like what like it's i, it's I mean hinting it. at he's, something he's talking um, to his dead father i love it and yeah, there's something. Yeah, might we worth the rewatch? We never see the dad with anybody else. Right? I don't think so. Well, that's and, my question. I, I yeah. don't think so. And it no, loops. no, no, no. We see him. We see him with Wings Hauser. Yeah, oh, but yeah. what is their exchange? Yeah, I thought Wings of that. Hauser occupied. Are they? They're right because mm-hmm. Wings is waiting for Ryan to come back. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Well, forget it. It was a nice thought. It's a. It's a. It, it is a great. I mean, because there is some weird supernatural ghosty yes. vibe in this movie. Right. Actually, right. a great little detail, a great little effect, is um, when is it? I think it's right after the seance or something. When it's like um, or, or when is it? Or no, I, I think it's when he discovers the head for the first time in the in the bag in the stash, stash the weed yeah. stash right insane way. and then it cuts to hit ryan o'neill in bed and it's all these voices being like whose head is it whose head is it whose head is yeah. it whose head you know and it's like that's crazy and then you mentioned the ending and there's definitely voices and like echoey laughter as the door shuts and the tone yeah. gets all gothic and weird and stuff so he's definitely playing with that so it's a cool theory though i love it i love that yeah all the, all the ghost stuff that's going on and like hell town is i don't know the, the whole hell town thing is, is kind of cool i think sort of you know yeah yeah he calls it hell town i love it yeah, yeah it's amazing and um another weird thing that i don't know if anybody knows the answer to or picked up on this but i definitely picked up on this on this viewing maybe i need to go back and fucking rewind it but the amazing fight scene, okay, where he does beat up the two, or he he's you know fighting with the two bad guys, with right. you know with the high uh-huh. beams, you know, and everything. And um, what the fuck? Because where does that dog come from? I don't think that yeah. we see that dog <laughs> established anywhere. No, no, no. Just... The dog's not established. He's just we see a two shot of Ryan O'Neill and the dog driving. Yeah, we do. That's okay, the we first do. First time we've seen a dog or no. Yeah, there's an dog. establishing shot ish, but it's just kind of sl- oh. it's just slap shot stuff, you know. Because I was just like, shot. where is this dog? Because we've never I seen know. it. <clears throat> and Your then, knife of course, is in my dog. Is- <laughs> Your knife is in my dog. I'm sorry, man. I got nothing against your dog. Is that the line? <laughs> that is, yes. your yeah. knife is yeah. in my dog. And yeah. it's amazing because then it goes to uh, this incredible sequence of jump cuts, like a choo-choo-choo-choo of him smashing the car. Oh, that's that fucking yeah. great, you know? That's one of the crazier moments in the movie, stylistically. Yeah, and I'm wondering, like, did they have to jump cut it because it looks so non-dynamic when there's no jump cuts in it, you know? Probably, 
Yeah. Yeah. Because it Most doesn't likely. look like a sequence that's been planned for like that jump scut. No, 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 no. Yeah. Saved them with, in the editing kind of thing. Which is, yeah, which is, yeah. or tried to. Which saved, is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, One of the things ahead. I find disconcerting is that, you know, the, the acting's over the top. The, <laughs> the story's really convoluted and overly complicated. And I still don't know what it is after all these years. Even though I just, <laughs> we watched it again. The editing is all over the place. It's told out a sequence. But. The film looks pretty good, you know. Like the the yeah. shots of the the cinematography is pretty good. The uh, the location looks great, you know. Like some stuff is, so yeah. I, I looked into the cinematographer a little bit. It looked like he worked on Three Women, which kind of feels right because it's pretty oh. soft, you know. Yeah. He wasn't the DP on that, but he worked on it, so okay. it has that sort of soft feeling to it. But then he was went on to do American Gigolo, Ordinary People, Cat People. You know, those movies look pretty good. Okay. Groundhog Day, and then Tom's favorite movie, The Big Chill. He also yeah, the <laughs> oh, BC yeah. all day, man. Yeah, yeah but he uh, he's actually on the on the Blu-ray. He um, there's an interview with the with the DP on the on the on the release. It's kind of cool to check out. Mm. Um, oh, wow. But it, oh god, and the fucking Blu-ray is hilarious too because you're I, I'm watching this watching the special features listening to the audio commentary track with the Norman Mailer biographer and all this stuff, trying to understand more of what we're trying to understand here. Yeah. But all the people that are like scholars of Norman Mailer are just over quantifying everything and like what the intention is. So like, for example, the, the Oh Man, Oh God thing, I'm like, okay, what's the fucking, you know, commentary guy going to say about this? What's scene? their hot take? What's yeah. their, and he's like, well, you know, it's, it's very Mailer and, you know, maybe it's the most Mailer scene of all time where he's examining the relationship between man and god and i'm just like fuck you uh you know like, those yeah, yeah that <laughs> you was, know that was totally that was totally my read shit. on it from the beginning uh, honestly like i was like <laughs> i was like this this is clearly just knowing sort of mailer and his predilections like okay. I, I felt that way too like from watching it it was it wasn't like i felt like he was saying oh gosh oh gee oh gosh those oh, weren't gee. just like, sort of random exclamations it's, oh man exactly, yeah oh, it's, god. Oh, it's oh, talking man. about man and god Yeah, oh right. God! Oh man! Oh God! Because he only says that. He doesn't say "oh fuck" yeah, or "shit." Right, exactly. You know? yeah. God! Yeah. Oh man. man! But it's okay. Can we do the rest of the half an hour on just this scene? So now, <laughs> hold on. So, so it's an actor. Just, just really reduce everything. It's an actor saying "oh God, oh man." Okay. The camera is circling around him. Good location. I like the camera work. Um, I like the idea of someone, but his his line reading. <laughs> That's what makes everybody laugh. That's why it's on Colbert because it's so deadpan. It's like someone, um, you know, like when someone's uh, rehearsing um, like sides with like their roommates, yeah, an actor yeah. going for an audition. They're yeah. like, all right, and you say, well, why don't you call him back? You know, it's like, yeah, the roommate, the actor. And so it just feels it's so flat. It's like, oh god, oh man, it feels like it was. Uh, you know, not ready for like a performance. Like he's not, he's delivering it so strangely. And that's what always mystified me because it's like, is back to what we're saying, a hundred percent mailer intention or good enough. Or uh, is, I guess Ryan's not happy with that. And he, and he thought maybe Ryan did from what I understand is Ryan mm -hmm. saying historically here when he refers to the scene, it's like, I had a better it's scene that i could have done for that well it's 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 the combination of the, that it reads like a bad movie because of that cut with the camera revolving on the tripod yeah. and the dramatic music and 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 the muse everything it's like yeah, it, yeah. it feels like the most 
You know, if you were going to design the well, hammiest like, scene well, of all time, that's what you Miami do. Connection, when the, when the guy opens the letter. My father! I found my father! Oh, my God! Oh, yeah. Oh, my God! You know, yeah, oh, yeah. my God! Yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, man! It's, oh yes. God. The repetition, too, I think, because usually, like, an actor is going to change up the way that they... If they yes. have the same line to read over and over again, they're going to change it up the second There's no modulation. Time, so. yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's, yes, oh exactly. God. It's just, oh, God, oh, man. Oh, God, oh, man. <laughs> so it's like, how could anyone in their right mind... <laughs> yeah. Uh, think that uh, that that works unless you're doing some kind of really like it's this is postmodernism really is what's going on here. It's deconstructing like a, yeah. a movie scene. We're watching someone's comment on films and movie scenes and dramatic heightened mm -hmm. movie scenes, yeah. right? There's no other way to read that, yeah. you know, unless because Mailer's not an idiot. I know I'm repeating myself when talking about this again, but he's not. I think this this scene is everything. In, it is in the film. You know? And and Ryan O'Neill's not an idiot either. Like, I mean, I think, right. you know, we got to remember about Ryan O'Neill is like, and, and I was saying this recently about Ryan O'Neill. It's like, if I look at a movie poster and it's like, who's in it? Oh, Ryan O'Neill. I'm like, mm. yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm never same. like, oh, got to go see it. But then you yeah, think about yeah. all this fucking guy does is win. This guy Ryan O'Neill, look at all I the like movies him. that he's Paper in. Moon, that bitch. Good man. Yeah, Paper Moon. Paper Moon. The driver. Like the driver. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Barry Lyndon, like this, like he goes on. So fine is great, Tom. I know you're goofing on him, but so fine is incredible. <laughs> well, listen, we'll we'll do a whole episode on yeah. that because Ooh. I really need to hear your hot take on so fine because I have lots of thoughts too. But go ahead. When's the last time you saw it? Oh, it was a few years ago, but I've seen it many times. I, okay, you have. Okay, okay, yeah. Anyway, okay, it's just you're just a Richard Keel fan, aren't you? Is that what's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. I knew it. Jaws, Jaws, yeah, 007s. Yeah. Um, okay, so can I? Can I talk about one character that I just is insufferable to me in this movie and I just like I'm looking <laughs> well, for the fast forward <laughs> button. Big stoop is is no well, that's Penn Gillette, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. That not, is mercifully brief. He is brief so he's he's not, you know, he's he's fine I don't mind it. It's I brief. I don't mind it as much Penn Gillette whatever. I'm talking about the Wardley character. Oh sure. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not cut out for this form of what well, I'm not cut out for this kind of imbroglio. Imbroglio. Yeah. I'm so wrong for this kind of imbroglio. Wardley, just go the first right. Yeah. 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 What? Did she give you a rim job? Yeah. <laughs> that that I'm is going into business with you, unspeakable yeah. Uh, yeah. criminals or whatever. He says. Super insane dialogue. I may be a physical coward, but I will assert that I have death guts. And or it's almost getting like El Topo when he's like kill, when he's killing himself. Yeah, you know, like the yeah. fourth master in El Topo. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna kill myself right now. Bye. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's it's very it's absurd. Bad. And and like that, like there's two scenes of him on the beach, like with his gun, yeah. and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's definitely a, a great interest to Mailer that character. Yes, and he is kind of like kind of like. Uh, um, Yes, there's a lot of attention, surprisingly, to this character in the middle of the film, and I feel like a lot of the soul of the film is what I'm trying to say for Mailer is in that characterization, and yeah, like he's just a, he just looks like a dickhead wasp kind of um, Tucker Carlson guy. Like I, he's I, just I, a schmuck. He's just I don't a get it. Schmuck. Like he doesn't seem interesting. He's a <laughs> no. victim. He's a mark. He's a schmuck. He's like yeah, like Mailer has just nothing but contempt for like a guy like this who gets right. yeah. Right. So deep with these people, and he's just not up to it. He's just like, this is Mailer's idea of just like the worst 
form of a person. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he, he dwells on yuppie. it. Yeah, he's a yuppie and he dwells on it like pretty yeah. heavy. Um, it's the, just like Southern holy. accents for me are just so distracting that I, I get lost. I, you know, that that's probably partially what gets me lost in the movies. I'm just like, no, I know. Going, Damn, that's so bad. It's almost like he sp- mailer sprung it on them the day of, you right? Know? Oh, right. and we're going to do this with the Southern. Yeah. Accent. And one of the actresses <laughs> is like, I, I don't really have a Southern accent, uh, yeah. but I'll try. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen movies, yeah. I guess yeah. with Southern accents. Yeah. I, I, well, I, love, I love, I love those like, Grisham-esque kind of like Southern accents. It's just one of my favorite things in the <laughs> oh, world. It's, it's I, a total joy. Really, like I'm Blanche. from North Carolina, and I, I love hearing it. Right on. That's right. Hotter than a June <laughs> bug, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. Some Golden Girls. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, golden Girls, yeah. Designing women. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. be sure that we address Winkshauser in this movie. I was just going to say that. Just going to say The rest of the episode. Yeah. He's so amazing. He's Dude. killer. He He's, gets it. That's what I think. I think he really is is like sliding into this skid of the he weirdness does. of Norman Mailer. Absolutely, he like yeah. I he think is he... The, the, he is the Mailer character in this film. I think if if it, yeah. he's the perspective character in a weird sort of way. Mouthpiece, yeah, yeah. Is, is that he? He is. There's like the whole part where he's like, "I'm a law enforcement officer, and it turns me on." Yeah, right. yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm a law enforcement officer, and it turns me on. Like yeah, he needs part, a spinoff. Where he says, yeah, you know. and this is one of the only deviations from the written script, hmm. is um because when you look at the script, that was this wasn't like one of these scripts that's like a transcription of what's actually used. Like for the most part, as Mailer wrote it, it's delivered. But Hauser gets to go off script a little bit. Yeah. Um, like when he says uh, he's talking about marijuana, and he's like. You smoke marijuana? He says, I like it. It puts feathers on my ass. What? I actually rewound that. I was like, I've never heard that phrase. Uh, That is some crazy shit talking. Yeah. So he ad-libbed that. Okay. You. It it wasn't totally an ad-lib. Like, Mailer does say, um, you know, I like your homegrown you know it, it it puts feathers on the ass or something like but but like it's clearly oh, okay. like he deviated from it in order oh, to make gotcha. it sound right god that's or crazy what some form of right you know yeah okay. but tom you 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 kind of you earlier on in the episode we kind of just glossed over this moment but it really is right 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 probably one of the crazier just his yeah. performance notes in the in the in the film <laughs> right, which right. is first he's when he's kind of cornered that you kind of realize that, okay, he's, you know, responsible for these murders is that, uh, and, and the beheadings, Jesus Christ, that he's, he bashes his head into a door. <laughs> which looks very real, very American movie, you know, you know, bashing yeah, that yeah. guy's head into the cabinet. <laughs> right. It looks very real. And then, and then he, he proceeds to have a, a fucking seizure, a like mm-hmm. p- paralyzing Bell's palsy <laughs> seizure that he has. Cut to I guess him waking up or the next morning, and he has the half side of his face paralyzed, saying, "You know, I I made you orgasm sixteen times once." You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like you know the only here you guys are like this. The only other performance I could compare it to is Leo Fitzpatrick in storytelling. <laughs> sure. This, yeah. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, he yeah, has yeah. it's a guy with CP in the first story of the Solens film. Yeah. And you know, everyone's you know beloved Leo Fitzpatrick. And he's yeah. just like doing like kind of a half-assed person who's a flick did with CP. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah, and this film is just like Yeah, so um 
I, I didn't know how to take it. So yeah. Anyway, when I first saw that, I thought um, it's crazy. Those are literally the words that went through my mind. It's like, uh, so I'm not supposed to take this any of this seriously because like 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 it was it was remarkable <laughs> and and it was bold, but it was like, what are you going for here? Because that's like a, that's like a blooper real joke. It's like uh, or Jim Carrey it? time. Yeah, he's such this a movie, weird mix movie, of like. Oh, I'm sorry, just, Marcus. Sorry, just Wings is such a weird mix of like charismatic and repellent at the same time. You know, like he's such a great, yeah. such a great performance in like every movie that I've seen him in. But then he's got these like crazy eyes, and he's physically like super imposing. There's this impossibly square jaw that looks, it looks like he's wearing a mask. Like you know, half the time. Vice yeah. Squad. Vice Squad. Oh, just a quick shout out to uh, to oh. Wings here. Sorry, uh, I got. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys familiar with his uh, his country album under the name Wings oh. Living Right? Wow, yeah. that, but, Ooh, great uh, name. No. Wow, I do tell that is uh, dynamite music. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that is rip roaring, uh, rip Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys, have you guys met Wings Hauser before? No. Ooh, do tell. Have you? Oh, I. I, I brought him out he was great i spent time with him we showed vice squad nice uh, Ooh, i got to spend like a couple days you know going to dinner and talking with him and having coffee and stuff did and you talk tough guy uh tough guys weirdly we did not talk tough guys don't i don't know why we didn't talk tough guys don't well, dance there were just a million other things to talk about we just never yeah. got around to talking about it uh he's he's still in my phone i could text him right now can we should call him right now See if we call him right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. one thing uh, about uh, about Wings is he's he's on the he's on the Blu-ray. I keep shouting out the Blu-ray, but he's on there as an interview with him, and it, it's great. I mean, he 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 looks back fondly at this movie. He thinks it's on to something, you know. Like it's he uh, calls it wonderfully insane, you know. So so he he gets it as you were saying. He totally right, understands right. it. But he did say, kind of going back to maybe the notes that. You know, Norman scribbled on that script you read, Lars. He described the movie. He pitched the movie to Wings saying it was a... And this may play into the Lawrence Tierney theory as well. He says uh, this is... Uh, he, he, he was pitching it to Wings saying a horror movie of the mind is what he was calling it. So yeah. who knows, man? Because wow. it is so um, needlessly complicated, as you were saying, Marcus. And really, how you tie all the loose ends together is just that everybody is having an affair with everybody. That's the only way to really sure. try Why to understand. Everybody has slept with everybody. And aren't there like, aren't they dumping like too many corpses for how many people are murdering? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's another one. It's like, ah, it's like 17 dumped yeah. corpses. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and and brilliant. And That's like it, Jerry Lewis comedy almost. You know? <laughs> it is, it is, and and shout out to that amazing scene at near the end too, when when he's deep six and all the other bodies, and it's like set to pomp and circumstance. You know, yeah. right? That's kind of amazing, and 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 you have to. I mean, that's definitely a more overt Norman Mailer American commentary. You know, sort of moment. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Um, but it's you were saying earlier, like, you know, what kind of humor is Norman plugged in? Is he like, you know, because it does seem ahead of his time, as we were sort of saying, I, mm. I kind of wonder if he was, you know, also aware of soap opera, you know, and that sort of, you know, like TV soap opera kind of thing, because it not only does it feel like it, but the fact that everybody is having an affair with everybody is so crazy because that's well, really she's what's dressed really dynasty like. Uh, yes, totally. it feels like that. It really feels totally. like that to me. 
Yeah. No, I, I, let's put it this way. There's no like real person in this film. No one is there. There's no attempt at having any kind of grounded, realistic yeah. rendering of an actual human being. So, yeah. so then that so they're all archetypal, and in a way, it's it is it is very. I don't know if it's ahead of its time, but it's very forward thinking. Maybe even meta that corny term sure. in the sense of this film, as much as anything, is about uh, movies. Yeah. Back to what I was saying, it's like like trash movies and trash culture. Yeah. And it's not about our world and how we live in it with each other. Yeah. It's about um like the the heightened like sort of dream reality uh in the in the cultural landscape of you know America. Yeah. And uh, you well, were well, also to, to quote his script notes again: If a strange and sinister fever is loose in the pleasure-loving classes of America, right. this wow. film looks to be, be the embodiment of that fever. That, that's... I, I, that's very similar to what you're just saying. You know, very yeah, cool, very cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, so again, if you look at it that way, yeah, then you maybe could give the film a break. Sure. And, and I'll just put it this way: I think I, I don't know if he succeeded in what he intended. Maybe he did, and this Maybe is like did. the film he wanted, like hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Or like he kind of like it was like a compromise, like ah, I kind of lost it in the technical side, and like you know, there's well, some weird casting. Maybe, but I'll say this much: if it if you do consider it a bad film and a failure, if you do look at it that way, the best failures are often from people who are very talented. Yeah. And this is that kind of object where like like mm-hmm. kind of the best stuff is. A failure of a talent because it's so rich and juicy and it's so alive even when it's failing you know right because yeah, the history of movies is just filled with unwashable failures right. totally oh my god we've covered right, some right. of them um the other thing too is uh uh that was sort of interesting listening to the cinematographer speak about the movie his, his recollections sort of evidence of some intention was that uh he was very much aware of Mailer wanting the performances to be heightened, to be very big and crazy and whatever and unusual. And yeah. I think that when they were desi- when they were designing the look and the feel of the movie, because the cinematographer is also cre- uh, he's also credited as the visual consultant, which is a very interesting way of putting it. But he um, he basically insisted that that that, that like the visual language of the movie, the way it looks, also should be like on two feet, have its two feet on the ground. You know, so it it it, oh. it 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 should look like more of a formal sort of you know Hollywood, if you will, look to sort of help contrast and balance out the more bizarre, surreal qualities of the performances right. and everything. Um, because he really said that if if we if we didn't do that, then the movie would be pretty much unwatchable. <laughs> you know, if they went full crazy with the visual right, style I gotcha. too. Yeah, it was yeah. grounded with uh, the, the 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 vocabulary of yeah. contemporary pop culture and, and that's why we keep thinking of like dynasty and falcon crest and stuff you know stuff yeah. like that. and, and yeah. if he's i think television more than film what do you see that as evan as someone who's like produced a lot of stuff like i see it as like the the cinematographer like framed all the shots and like yeah basically did the mise-en-scene and norman mailer was the director like he was the one doing the performances yeah like if, if somebody gets a special visual consultant credit on a film like this he probably <sighs> Like basically, he lensed it to the look of the film. Yeah, yeah. I think I would think I don't know, and I haven't seen any other evidence of this unless you guys have through research found it. But I have a feeling that, like you know, Norman Mailer is approaching this movie. You know, yes, it's his source material, it's his book. It's you know, he probably wants everybody to be as close to the script as they can. 
and all that stuff. But I have a feeling that he is also letting people do their job. You know, he is letting, you know, uh, you know, maybe he's saying, okay, Ryan O'Neill, like, you know, with the Ogato man, great one take, we got it, let's move on. But I think he's letting everybody kind of do their thing, you know, uh, and I think he's, he's, it's more of a collective. I think so. Yeah. Well, no, can I relate back to if you do watch his old 60s hard experimental films, Maidstone, uh, Wild 90, those, what they really are, like I was saying earlier, is they're documentations of, of a collective of people who've agreed to endeavor on something, this oddly irregular shaped thing that sort of is a film that Mailer is um, conducting. Mm-hmm. He's like a ringmaster, conductor. You know, and everyone has a piece of it. Like Rip Torn has a piece of uh, Maidstone, you right. know, and and you see that played out in the film. It's a lot, of, kind of like a cheap Godard kind of move a lot of times, but it's fun. Uh, so um, that makes a lot of sense to me that maybe he is thinking in terms of a, it's a collective lark, you know, and like that's Ryan's contribution, and maybe I wouldn't have done that, but that's what Ryan's doing in, you know, Tough Guys Don't Dance. Or he's really trusting in his crew and trusting in the people that he's put in this to do their jobs, and maybe he's not like micromanaging every step of the way like a different person yeah. would. But I don't know. Maybe he is. I think, that's it's, the thing. I think he's being playful. I think playful. Playful. I think he based, is. Based he's like, on the old ones yeah. the old films yeah well that and the fact that he's like you know writing is not fun and filmmaking is and i'm gonna have fun yeah. and that's the way he looks at it that was um, interesting i mean you know and and i but even though that he did refer to filmmaking i think i think one of his quotes about filmmaking is like something like i'm paraphrasing but like you know uh, filmmaking is a war but nobody gets killed you know uh, is the sort of idea but he he's yeah. He's he loves it. He loves the battle and the fight and going through it. It's and like almost not so interested in the final result as much as like the uh, who knows the effort. Yeah. There's one Again, I'm just going with the, this the '60s experimental stuff. You know. Yeah. And if There's it one does skeleton relate. key in this whole thing, I think, which is interesting, which is in the trailer, um, and everybody should watch. The, everybody should watch the. I mean, maybe not everybody, but if like you. <laughs> If like you've gotten this far in this stupid film. podcast, you're you gonna watch, watch the fucking movie. But the, but the trailer has Norman Mailer sitting in a room, and he's he, he's clearly framed, just a little off center, and in the background is the Maltese Falcon prop from the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, right. right. And Amazing. like that's an interesting sort of like skeleton key kind of into his thinking. I think in a in a movie like this, which is like, um. It's like it's a it's a bit of a it's it's not just a bit of a convoluted plot. It's a very convoluted plot. Very in the Maltese Falcon. Oh, you know, it's kind of a little bit hard to understand everybody's little motivations. And the film itself kind of becomes like it becomes about these characters in the Maltese Falcon, who are big, weird characters like you know uh, Peter Laurie and Peter and, Elijah and, Cook and Jr. Street. These are yeah. big, weird Ooh. characters yeah. who yeah. come yeah. in and yeah. give yeah. the film a lot of their life. Well, you know, like, yeah. the, like it's full of um, personality. You know, yeah, it's, it's very full broad, of weird, clashing personalities. One thing I wanted to say real quick is I was I was hopping on Letterboxd while I was watching the movie, rewatching the movie, and seeing like the people who I know, like what do they fucking think of this movie? You know, mm-hmm. and it was interesting that uh, a friend of mine that I follow on there was comparing. He was making the obvious blue velvet connections, right? Well, you know, it's a blue velvet thing, da, da, da. but after many viewings, he started to feel that 
that Showgirls was more of like yeah. an apt layered, layered, yeah, yes, layered, yeah, mm-hmm. was more of an apt uh, uh, a comparison, you know, because it's deliberately gaudy, you know, like Showgirls is. It's it is kind of a funhouse mirror of American values and American drive and sexuality and masculinity and everything, and you know, also with like because this movie also has like crazy, you know, homophobic, misogynistic. You know, things too, which I'm sure, I mean, you know, he's not like someone who's like that. So he's obviously including those things in there as some sort of commentary. So, but I can see that, you know, is that like kind of he's trying to make a statement and doing it in a big, campy, gregarious, gaudy way like Paul Verhoeven would do. And that's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. if you look at it through that lens. And I think that might be even more close to the truth, you know, who knows? Um, Right. There was intention with both of those directors. Yeah. And it was misunderstood by everyone. Yeah. Because American audiences don't like intentional bad. It's just like, does not compute. Like, yeah. You can't right. factor this in. It's like that. Because that, right. I've, I've, you know, we've all hung out with a dumb person every now and then. And like when they see something like that, like a, <laughs> like a campy line of dialogue, it's like, that's so stupid. Who the yeah. fuck would say that? It's so dumb. Like, yeah. like why would anybody say that? Yeah, exactly. You know? And maybe random, 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 man. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Ran- yes. Random. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're talking about the visual consultant. It got my gear and how that might be, uh, you know, him sit the, the DP setting up the shots and stuff divorced from Norman Mailer, just doing the actors it got me thinking about how that, that is a thing in, uh, in Hollywood, like, uh, Spielberg, for instance, you know, will uh, people, the, the, the production manager and crew will go in and set everything up and then he just rolls in for the actors on you know yeah the 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 team kind of sets it all up ahead of time so yeah you could totally see where norman mailer 64 is like am i gonna direct a film they're like don't worry we're gonna we got this all handled for you we're gonna go (laughs) well what's the the split with the godfather right the godfather was bifurcated somewhat between uh gordon willis overseeing the visuals Mm -hmm. and then yeah the the drama was yeah covered by coppola right that's the it's a classic European mode of having mise en scène and then directeur de production yeah exactly real quick with two minutes left we just have to shout out how fucking crazy the pendulette scene is in this movie (laughs) and how it's so insane that he what was that thing where when Wingshauser's going off at the end and he's like he made his the wife his wife participate in orgies you know or whatever and it's so weird that they like travel like eight hours to like sleep with another couple and like that's just part of the story. Like, yeah, I mean, he's like, that's... let's let's drive down to North Carolina. It's just eight hours. Yeah, eight hey, hours. Just I just saw this, this in couple. Screw Magazine. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that line. I mean, you don't see Screw Magazine <laughs> shoutouts in cinema very much. <laughs> no, no. That's 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 the good uh, tough guys I love. You it know? is, and I did like... love the photo of Penn and the girl that they yeah. pull out. Yes. She's, she's in the bikini, and he's yeah. He must shorts. have a big tallywack. <laughs> Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> oh, God. right, right. It's so crazy, man. It's a Just, good time. It is a good time. It it is and 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 to bring it full circle, man. I mean, I I definitely remember over 10 years ago whenever this was, Lars, when you hosted Tough Guys Don't Dance at the Alamo and you went on a long kind of rant about how this movie just doesn't give a fuck at all what you think <laughs> you know like you <laughs> did know, it kill and, were people laughing oh people were dying man i had never seen it oh. so i had no idea and it's funny because like i've seen this movie a number of times but it doesn't retain for me you know yeah. so when i go back to re-watch it it's almost like watching it for the first time <laughs> how could it because it doesn't <laughs> sink in you know kind of washes you. over you 
but it was amazing and yeah so thanks to lars you know for uh introducing me to this fucking crazy movie man incredible any closing statement we'll introduce your entire listening audience of yeah a million people yeah (laughs) million plus yeah we just crossed it's on amazon prime yeah oh it is that's how i watched it yeah Yeah, like like, probably people must tune into this all the time yes and we'll probably what tom Oh, uh, let's share the trailer with everybody too. Oh, yeah, they should, that, yeah. yeah. we'll have You'll see the link show. or something yeah, else. Yeah, totally. Because the trailers is pretty. It's, as trailers go, it's pretty dope. It's you know? it's pretty bomb. All right, everybody, that was one fucking hour on tough guys don't dance. Of course, in light of Rip Roaring, Rip Ryan, and uh, <laughs> that's uh, <clears throat> that's what we. That do was here. a Rip Roaring, Rip Ryan. Episode. It was. It was. It was Rip Roaring. It was. Uh, it, yeah. was. it was. By definition, <laughs> it was. So um, thanks, of course, Lars, uh, for joining us, for uh, coming back on the yes. show. and Always good to have you, man. Ripping My it up pleasure, and I appreciate being here with all of you guys, even though I, uh, you didn't mention that we were recording this at 4 in the morning, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I did, I did want to shout out Marcus Herring. Yes. Who is a tough guy to schedule. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Tough guys. guys don't schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tough guys don't schedule, man. On the show. Yeah, no, uh, that's right. This I'm, I'm we're figuring out. We're gonna all day at work tomorrow. No, right. you'll well, be. Good. Everything's fine. It's it's yeah. worth it. You have it's, you'll have a tough yeah, guys yeah. hangover. The memories uh, of tonight will carry you through. <laughs> yes, I, I'm up for a so fine app in in, in the two Ooh. four. I'm so almost fine not kidding. Is really funny, and you other guys haven't seen it. Tom's the only one that's seen it, right? I've never. I haven't seen it. I All seen I know is bottomless jeans. Yeah, that's that's the no, uh, Lars. This is for you, man. It's like I used to fuck like that. <laughs> remember that line? <laughs> I'm talking about. No, I don't remember that line. Oh my god, it's the best line ever in, in any film. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, Jack. Tonight uh, had some uh, good Richard, ones. Richard Keel has a major role in this film. That's so Richard weird. Richard Keel's in like 40 minutes of of like back and forth acting. Totally. Well, here's the thing. So fine was advertised as as it being one thing, which was like a, about the gene genes right. craze. Right. Weird. So it was like, oh, it's a weird spoof about like everybody jeans. going crazy in their Jordash jeans and tight jeans. And then it's really not about that. Yeah. And it's this whole other plot that looks like it's out of a dumb Italian comedy. Exactly. From like the exactly. 80s. And I do love that about it. It's Up there's to something including special. The fact that it stars Mirangelo Mulatto well, there's from dumb thing. Italian sex comedies as go. the yeah, wife yeah. of Richard Keel. It's special. It's a, it's a really funny movie. Andrew Bergman, like who you know, the guy who made the in-laws, which is okay. You know, I'm I'm up and down on, but you okay. know, I like yeah. it. And yeah. Big Trouble, which I yeah. am not down on. I, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. fine. And hey, let's not forget partners, you know, as well, too. Let's try, but let's. We, I, don't think we can. Yeah. I actually I gave that a spin recently, and I was like, "Oof, oof. it's great." Not it just for great, the, it uh, plays great with audiences now. You guys like? I can't wait till TikTok. I'm uh, just did, kidding. I'm just kidding. I know. I I, yeah. I can't wait till TikTok uh, gets to see partners. <laughs> yeah. Um, that'll yeah, be a fun yeah, day. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. All right. Uh, R- R- Rip Ryan, man. <laughs> Rip, Hashtag Rip, Rip, Ryan, Rip Ryan. Rip Ryan. Rip Ryan. Um, we could do a whole month of Rip Ryan. Rip yeah, Ryan. we should. Yeah. Rip, <laughs> Rip, 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 Um, all right, everybody. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, real quick again, shout out to the Patreon, patreon.com slash one fucking hour. Uh, that's where you can subscribe to get our, uh, audio commentary tracks, bonus episodes, the best way to support us five bucks a month. Uh, or you can join the YouTube channel right now, become a moment, you know, you want to do it. 
Um, and uh, this is going to wrap up the year, man. I mean, we might sneak in like we did last year. Uh, we snuck in a little bonus episode. Tom's on his way to New York. We might wander into a movie theater and watch a new yeah. movie. You know, look yeah. out, warning, uh, see something. Yeah. You don't never know. Do like an emergency <laughs> broadcast. See something, say something. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Especially <laughs> in New York. And um, and so that that might we might do that, or this might bring us right to the end of the year, man. And when we're gonna come back, rip roaring into twenty twenty four. Shit. Um, and uh, I'm just gonna say it now. I, we've discussed this, and I don't give a fuck. I want to come back strong in 2024 and i want to do maholland drive i want to fucking do maholland drive yeah let's do it 2024 uh that'll be a hard hour uh, uh you'll you will have no um no resistance no from me i mean okay uh, yeah yeah I, actually, right. I was just thinking about it recently again and uh all this david lynch talk one. has got me going so well, it's like so, go ahead yeah go ahead. except for college kids don't know who he is apparently <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right we got to do this well, you don't have to know him you know yeah. you, Watch no, the film. They don't. Maybe it's more fun to not have any context and just watch more. Ooh, that would be amazing. Know. God, could you imagine? Yeah. I, I do wish, wish I, I could wish. see it again for the first I know. time. Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah. I know. That'd be so cool. Yeah, what so, is it? Eternal Sunshine for uh, yes. auteurs? That'd be yeah, great. Or, yeah. or Men in Black for auteurs? Um, yeah, right, right, right. But uh, all right, is everybody. Like the, is there like a Charles Manson Centennial or something coming up at some point? Ooh. Um, it'd be cool to do Manson movies. Yes. Well, we've talked about. At the about, very least, The Doc. Which is yeah. awesome. Oh, know. oh yeah, yeah. And we I befriended the director. It. Here and stuff. it is. Come and get it. That doc is that the one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. With yes. all the split screen and everything. Yeah, like yeah. That. Yes. We have uh, it's, talked it's, about it's, and 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 teased uh, doing a month or longer of uh, uh, kind of just centered around the themes of cults. You know, there's a lot of great cult yeah, films yeah. about Brainwash. cults. Brainwash. Um, fucking split image. Uh, Ticket to Ticket heaven. to heaven. These movies that we haven't covered yet, we really want to cover. So that'll probably be a next year thing. Yeah, that so, sounds fun. And we could do That'd Manson and we could do, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, so yeah. <clears throat> stay like tuned, man. 2024, make... man. It's going to be big for us. So, And Marcus Outrageous. is going to get those T-shirts going. It's going to be great. Yep. <laughs> yeah, T-shirts so plenty. We got yeah. a birthday episode coming up. Ooh, yours? Oh, January. Right. Holy shit. And I have no idea what I'm going to pick. Uh, big chill. Yeah, big chill. I mean that. Chill. Oh, my Let's God. See. I have I'm a, scared. I have some thoughts. I'm scared. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, we should we should get out of here. We got to get to bed. It's four in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, everybody. Okay. Well, uh, but as Lars knows, we can't leave people uh, without their what? Lars, do you know? Do you know what we do here? Moment of Zen. Oh, moment. Yeah. All right, everybody. I love that. Uh, enjoy your moment of Zen, and we will see you on the flip side. All right, bye. Yep. In one scene, which I insisted on, everyone else begged me to take the scene out of the movie. And I insisted on it. It's in the film you'll see. Which is, is a terrible moment when Ryan receives a letter that just shatters his universe from an old lover. And he's up high out a, on a bluff about eight miles from this town, Provincetown, looking out the ocean, high up in the sand dunes. And he starts, the camera starts whirling as if this world is falling apart. And he starts going, oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, he screams. Oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man. And I wanted the high pitch of it and wouldn't tone it down. They begged me, the sound engineers, the sound men, everybody begged me later to take it down, the editors, I insisted on it. And I think Ryan, unjustifiably from my point of view, I wasn't trying to hurt him. 
I really thought the picture needed it, and it was an extraordinary moment in the picture, but it's a disaster. It's the one disaster uh, in the film, I'd say. So I think he was furious about that and will never forgive me for that. And so that's why I didn't get that mad when he called me a jerk, because there was a certain truth to it. I'd been a jerk about that moment in the film. Forget Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> That was wicked, man.